Life Spring number 161, Speaking in Unknown Tongues. Me? What's that all about? <laughs> Hang on, you'll find out. How you doing? All right, welcome to LifeSpring. I'm Steve Webb and I'm your host. You can email me at steve.lifespring at gmail.com or you can call me toll free at 877-433-9091. I like it when you write and I love it when you call. Do it today. <laughs> I've got a great show for you today, I think, even if I do say so myself. My Nigerian friend has sent a whole passel of questions for me to answer, and I'm going to try to answer a few of those today. Uh, we'll talk about women in the church, whether they should teach or be pastors, and we're also going to talk about the fate of babies who die. I think you might find some interesting stuff there, and I'm going to encourage you to participate as well. We're going to touch on some news, some news stories that deal with believers, and I'm going to talk about the newest show in the LifeSpring Media family. Yeah, just a couple of weeks after telling you that there was going to be no new shows this year in the LifeSpring Media family, many of you already know about a new show in the LifeSpring family, and I need your help with it, your involvement, and I'll tell you about that at the end of the show if you don't already know. Today's show is going to be just you and me. The last couple of shows were interview shows, but uh, today it's just you, me, and oh yeah, there's some great new music that I want to share with you. So I think what we'll do is start with that now. This is Jeff Kaler. Kaler with a C. Met him on Twitter. Feel like a bird tied to a tether. Not quite how it's meant to be. Looking around at all these feathers that I don't even need. Tonight I think that something happened When I decided to finally try And maybe to you it looked like jumping But I think I touched the sky So 
fly, I know cause I almost today. Yeah, I almost today. Oh, there's not much of a tale to tell. That's Jeff Kaler with Almost Flu. And as I said, I met him on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, see, some good things can come out of Twitter. If you're not following me on Twitter, I encourage you to do that. Just go to twitter.com slash lifespring. And I will also put Jeff Kaler's uh, Twitter link on the show notes page so you can follow him, too, if you want. So, good stuff. Okay, so to begin with, I told you that I got uh, some more questions from my Nigerian friend. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of funny the way he started one of the emails. Actually, there's uh, two emails here from him. I don't think that I'll get, I, well, I know that I'm not going to get to everything that he asked, but uh, he said, Mr. Steve, I and my family heard you speaking in unknown tongues when you were pronouncing my name. Uh, you may remember I mentioned him uh, a couple of shows back. And so <laughs> I don't think I, I guess I didn't pronounce it properly. He says, uh, anyway, oops, sorry. And I hope you didn't hurt your tongue. Now that's funny because, uh, this fellow whose name I'm going to say in just a second, he says, I hope I didn't hurt your tongue. And uh, James Cooper in the UK, often <laughs> when he writes me with, um, you know, something that's involved, he'll say, well, I hope I didn't hurt your brain. So everybody's concerned about hurting Steve. What's up with that? <laughs> I guess I'm glad that you're that you care about me. That's a good thing. Anyway, so he says, my name is all right. He, he types it out. And the first name has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve letters in it. I think I counted that right. And then his last name has uh, two, four, six, eight, nine letters. And for a guy whose name is Steve Webb, this uh, this is not as easy as falling off a log. So anyway, he says, yes, it's an African name. And how did you know that? Well, I have to tell you that uh, I, I Googled your name and I came up with the fact that it was Nigerian in uh, origin. So he says, here are the pronunciations. And I'll just say it. He, he has a whole uh, key here how to pronounce it. But I, I'm going to try and say it here, and hopefully I say it right. Because he says, a little bit later, he says, uh, I really want to hear you pronounce it properly. So I'm going to give it the best shot I can. Uh, okay, it's Osadohanven. Okay, that's not too bad. Hopefully it's not too too far off. See, part of the problem is he did not give me where which um, syllable has the 
emphasis, or as my band teacher in high school used to say, emphasis. So I'm not sure where the emphasis is here, but Osato Hanfben, Osato Hanfben. And the second name is not quite as hard. I think it's pronounced Enehezena, or Enehezene, Enehezene, okay? Osato Hanfben, Enehezene. Ooh. He says, just call me Osato for short. So there you go, Osato. That's that's what I'm going to call you. <laughs> he says, I'm a male Nigerian student from Edo State, Benin City. And he says, by his grace, a Pentecostal Christian. He tells me a little bit about how he found the show, and he found it over at basicchristian.org, where he found some of the podcasts that I did for the 2005 Southern California Harvest podcast. Um, they did uh, their big uh, crusade down there at the uh, Anaheim Stadium, where the Anaheim or the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels play, or whatever they call them now. And uh, that was a, uh, what, a three or four day event, something like that. That was for Harvest Church, Greg Laurie. And he had some more complimentary things to say there. And Osato, thank you for that. He says, uh, please, sir, here are a few more questions I want you to answer. And I don't know, there's probably eight or nine questions here, which, again, I'm not going to do them all. But we'll start at the top of the the list and uh, work through a couple of them anyway. And uh, hopefully you find it interesting. And anywhere along here where you disagree or where you have something that you'd like to say, please feel free to email me or call in your comment. Here we go. According to 1 Corinthians 11, 3-14, the head of the woman is the man, and any woman that prays or prophesies with the head uncovered dishonors her man or her head, which is the man. Whereas in Ephesians 5.24, they are to be submissive to their husbands. Now, why is it that in prominent congregations today, females do cover their head in the church? Is it some kind of fashion? And, you know, Osato, I would have to say that, yes, it is some kind of a fashion, because here in Southern California, and I think probably in most of the United States, females don't cover their head in church. I believe that Paul was using a local custom to illustrate a timeless truth, and that is that our God is a God of order. He has established a hierarchy in his creation that begins with him, the Father, then goes to Jesus, the Son, and then man, and then woman in that order. In the society of their day, a woman going out in public with her hair uncovered was demonstrating her rebellion against that hierarchy. It was a a social statement. It was a sign that she was available and therefore it was an insult to her husband. Paul was reminding them that our worship services are regularly attended by angels and out of respect for them, we should be careful to adhere to the established order while in worship. Now, today, the head covering for women is not customary, at least here in the United States. Now, Osato, you say that there in Nigeria, most females do cover their their head in church. So there you go. We have that cultural distinction. But to continue, we should still be careful to act in a manner that pleases the Lord and is acceptable in his sight, especially in worship. For instance, how many people routinely show up late for worship or fail to demonstrate the proper reverence while there or in other ways, by action or appearance, distract other worshipers. We, do, we don't really uh, welcome that in church today, and they didn't then either. Uh, would they look or act this way if they could see their angelic visitors? Think about it. Instead of um, our angelic visitors or the Lord being um, invisible 
in our churches on Sunday, if we knew that they were going to be there waiting for us, um, where we could see them and they could see us and, and there was eye-to-eye contact, do you think that uh, people would habitually be late for a service? Or do you think that they would do disrespectful things in church if that were the case? I don't think so. Worship is not a time for musicians to show how talented they are or for worshipers to call attention to themselves by the way they act or look. Now, I know in some churches, um, the music is very lively and um, very modern, and sometimes the guitar player will throw in some licks that uh, really call more attention to himself than to the worship. And, you know, you can make that distinction yourself, but worship is supposed to be about focusing on God. It's not about focusing on how talented the singers are or how talented the musicians are. Um, In my church, I do the tech. You know, I'm the guy that uh, sometimes I do sound, sometimes I put the video up with the lyrics for the worship choruses and other things. And in my mind, if I'm successful, my presence there is going to be invisible. I don't want to draw attention to myself when I'm doing that job. I don't want people to say, wow, look at those neat graphics, or wow, listen to how he just brought that music down just perfectly, or wow, he didn't bring that music down enough, or wow, what was that loud pop in the the audio? I don't want any of that. I want it to be invisible. And in my mind, I think that the music in church should focus our attention on the worship of God and not on the musicians themselves. That's just me, perhaps. Maybe I'm just an old fuddy-duddy, but in my mind... Worship is a time to pay homage to the Lord, to focus on Him, and to express our gratitude to Him. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So the the wearing of something on the head was really uh, something that was very cultural at the time. So there you go there. Next, Osato says, Most congregations preach against female ministers, that is, females being pastors. And those that, that have that view, he says, center their um, their point on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, when the Apostle Paul said that women should keep silent in the church. Then he goes on to say, Osado does, Meanwhile, in Joel 2.28, Acts 2.17, and John 1.12, the sexes are not relevant in the sight of God. That is male and female. And we have many accounts of the exploits women did in the Bible. He said women like Esther in the book of Esther, the four daughters of Philip the evangelist in Caesarea that were um, prophetesses in Acts 2.21.9, and the woman of Samaria by Jacob's well, which many believed in Jesus by her evangelism. In other words, that woman at the well went and told people about Jesus, and they believed because of of her testimony. And then Osado goes on to say, and God is still doing wonders through them today. Then comes the question, so what do you think, Steve? Okay, so the question is, I guess, do I think that women should be pastors? Should they be overseers, to use a New Testament term? Uh, Presbyters? Uh, Should they have authority over a congregation? What do I think? When you look at the context of 1 Corinthians 14 there, that you first mentioned there, Osado, uh, when you took, take the whole context there, you, you focus just on 34 and 35, but if we take the whole section, which is verses 26 through 40, we see that the Apostle Paul is dealing with order in worship, just like we talked about above uh, when we talked about the covering of the head. Well, he's still dealing with order in worship here, or how people should conduct themselves while gathered together for worship. 
Paul first mentions the fact that the purpose of gathering together is for strengthening the church. Then he mentions tongues and interpretations. He mentions prophecy, and then women speaking. And then he talks about the veracity of this teaching. Then he restates the importance of order. Well, let's read it. So we're reading uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 through 40. Paul says, What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder. By the way, what he means by that is... Sometimes in a church, someone will, what they say, get a word from God, and they'll sometimes pop up and say, I've got a word from the Lord, and they'll, you know, speak whatever that word is. According to what Paul says here, no, 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 you don't do that. He said, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. I can control myself if I get that. You wait for your turn. Paul continues, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So Paul starts by saying that there must be order and he ends by saying there must be order. Everything that was between is all wrapped in that. You see, there seems to have been a problem in the Corinthian church. There were certain people who were causing disputes and disturbances during their meetings, and part of the reason for Paul's letter to the Corinthians was to help bring order. Evidently, there were some women there who would interrupt the teaching with their questions instead of waiting for an appropriate time. So Paul said, just be quiet until you get home. Now, if someone tries to use this passage as a proof text against women teaching, they're completely missing the point of the passage. Paul would certainly not contradict himself in his teaching. Now, here is where I might raise the ire of some of my female friends and listeners, but I hope not. But you asked, so I have to give you my answer. Teaching is one thing. Having authority over is quite another, at least in my mind. You ask me, so I'm giving you my opinion. If we look at the people whom Jesus called to grow the church, we see that he chose only men. Yes, he had some women around him, and yes, they had some very important impact on his ministry, but when it came to leading the early church, Jesus chose men exclusively. And in addition to that, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, where it gives the qualifications for overseers or bishops or presbyters or pastors, whatever you want to call them, both passages say that an overseer should be, quote, the husband of but one wife, unquote. 
That seems to be pretty clear, that an overseer must be male, the husband of but one wife. I couldn't find any scriptures that spoke of women being in leadership roles in the church. As I said earlier, there were important women in the Bible, but they are in support roles. Mary Magdalene, Phoebe, Priscilla, and others are all spoken of highly, but they are in some in some churches they're called deaconesses and the root word for deacon is a helper now if i'm wrong about the biblical examples of new testament women leaders please write to me if you can think of a new testament reference to a woman who is in authority over men let me know i'm i'm serious about that steve.lifespring@gmail.com now the culture of jesus time was definitely patriarchal men ran things women were not much more than property now Maybe this is the reason that Jesus chose only men and Paul spoke of overseers as being the husband of one wife. But here's something else to think on in case you want to take the tack that this is just a cultural thing. Jesus didn't shrink from breaking cultural tradition when necessary. If he had wanted this cultural norm to be done away with, he certainly could have, right? So why didn't he? I don't know unless it is that women are to not be in leadership roles. Listen, God has, and he does, and he probably will continue to use women to do some amazing work for the kingdom. And some women have been in leadership. Some denominations even ordained women as pastors. The bottom line for me is this. Thankfully, the question of whether or not women should be in positions of authority is one of those that I call a peripheral issue. It is not central to our salvation. It's been a topic of debate for generations. So my answer is just that. It's my answer. People that are a lot smarter than me have wrestled and reasoned and debated and decried their answers. We're not going to settle it here. But since you asked Yosato, I think it's wisest to stay with what the scripture says. Jesus called men. The qualifications that were given for overseers apply to men. And so I'm going to say that women are not to be pastors or in any way are they to have authority over a body of believers. <sighs> Sorry, ladies. Again, my email is, if you want to write, you know, send the flames my way. That's okay. I'm, I want to hear from you. My email is steve.lifespring at gmail.com. And you know, if you have a different opinion, I would love to hear it, really. Uh, you can even call me and let me hear your ire at 877-433-9091, which again is a toll-free call in the U.S. I talked even about the subject with the lovely Lady Leanne, my wonderful wife, and I asked her before I gave her my thoughts, and her opinion is very close to what mine is, so for what that's worth. So, there's that. Whew. I don't know if I dodged a bullet or not. We'll wait and see. Since this is time-shifted, I have no idea if uh, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune are upon me or not. Another question from Osato. Certainly infants and unborn babies would be granted eternal life in heaven if they die at, the, at that stage of life. Or wouldn't they? Are there biblical proofs? So Osato wants to know if babies go to heaven when they die. Well, I most certainly do believe that babies who die go to heaven. Uh, one often hears the phrase, the age of accountability. Have you heard that before? Well, that refers to the time when a person becomes aware of sin in their life, when they know the difference between right and wrong. When you know the difference and choose to do wrong, that is sin. And the wages of sin is death. If you are unaware of the difference, if you don't know 
about good and evil. If you don't know the difference between right and wrong, it's not sin. And a baby obviously does not know the difference between right and wrong. So a baby cannot sin. If there is no sin, there is no judgment. Now, again, there's, there's room for debate there. I'm the first to admit it. There are some that say we are born in sin, and even a baby, if he's not, uh, it will some denominations, baptize babies. And uh, they do that for, for this very reason. If you haven't been baptized, you can't go to heaven, according to some. That's not my personal belief. Now, the closest thing we have scripturally is this. You may remember that King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and she had a baby. Well, God confronted David with that sin and told him that the baby would die. Well, so David began fasting and praying. And this is in, by the way, 2 Samuel chapter 12. But the baby died. At that point, he was, before the baby died, he was in such a sorry state. I mean, he wasn't eating. He was tearing his clothes. He was wailing. He was going after God saying, please let the baby live. He was in such bad shape that his servants thought that that he, David, might die because of the neglect that he was giving to his own body because he was so focused on trying to change God's mind about taking the baby. Well, when the baby died, David got up and he cleaned himself up and he had a big meal and he, you know, put on, you know, fine clothes and his servants, you know, they, they couldn't believe it. And they came to him and they said, why are you, we thought that you might even kill yourself when, when you found out that the baby was dead. You were in such bad shape before he died. Why are you not in that kind of shape now? Why are you okay? And David said, now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So the key there, or the part that we are going to look at a little bit closer here, is where he said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. What did he mean by that? Well, we assume that he was saying that the baby was in heaven and he knew that he, David, would go to be with him in heaven when he, David, died. David knew the baby could not come back to him because he was dead, but he knew that he, David, would die and that when he died, he had faith that he was going to be with God in heaven and would therefore see the baby again. So it isn't 100% crystal clear. You have to use your your ability to reason a little bit on this scripture, but we really believe that this is scriptural proof that when they die, babies go to heaven. And uh, there are several more questions here that Osato asked, but uh, we're about a half an hour into the show here, and I want to continue on with some other things. So, Osato, have patience. I might get back to some of these other questions in future shows, but uh, hopefully um, this will satisfy your curiosity for now. If other uh, good friends and uh, LifeSpring family members here have other questions they'd like to ask, please send them to me. And you've already heard the email address enough times. And now let's look at some news. This news story has to do with the church and the blogosphere. 
I came across an interesting article at ChristianityToday.com illustrating that at least one denomination is struggling with the question of whether someone in the organization has the right to blog or not. Just as in the corporate world, they're grappling with the same issue. It's a matter of controlling the message and the public's perception of the organization. I've heard of uh, some big corporations telling their people, you can't blog, we won't allow it. And others, of course, do encourage it. But in this specific case, the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board accepted the resignation of a fellow by the name of Wade Burleson, who had been a member of that board since 2005. He'd been blogging about some disagreements that he had with the board, and, well, to make a long story short, they told him to stop his blogging. He said he, in good conscience, could not do so, so he resigned. To be more specific, he said that, I always said that if my blogging ever came to be a distraction to the missionaries on the mission field, I would resign. And so that's what he did. He resigned. It's a really good new media story and one that you may want to read if you are at all into new media discussions. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to the story in the show notes page, and uh, that is a Christianity Today story. Now, this is another news story that really caught my attention. This is from the telegraph.co.uk, and the headline was Lent Fast, rebranded as, get ready, Christian Ramadan. So you might imagine why that stopped me in my tracks when I saw that. Dutch Catholics have rebranded the Lent Fast as the Christian Ramadan in an attempt to appeal to young people who are more likely to know about Islam than Christianity. I don't know if you knew it, but uh, Islam in the Netherlands is growing by leaps and bounds. There's a Catholic charity whose name I will not even try to pronounce since I don't speak Dutch, uh, which collects for the third world across the Netherlands during the Lent period, is concerned that the Christian festival has become less important for the Dutch over the last generation. The director of the charity, Martin Vanderquill, said, The image of the Catholic Lent must be polished. The fact that we use a Muslim term is related to the fact that Ramadan is a better-known concept among young people than Lent. Pretty amazing, huh? Three decades ago, the Catholic Church was as strict as many Muslims are about Ramadan with a total ban on meat and alcohol during the 40-day Lenten period between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Most Dutch Catholics now focus on charitable work after the Vatican loosened fasting structures for all but the first and last day of Lent back in 1967. Four million Dutch describe themselves as Roman Catholics, and 400,000 people attend Mass every week, but only a few tens of thousands still mark Lent by fasting, said Mr. Vanderquill. The organizers hope that by linking the festival to Ramadan, they can remind Christians who may be less observant than Muslims of the spirituality and sobriety of Lent. The agreements are more striking than the differences. Both for Muslims and Catholic faithful, the values of frugality and spirituality pay a central role in this tradition, said Mr. Vanderquill. Wow. What do you think about that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That they are using some Muslim terminology to relate to Lent. What do you think about that? Let me know. Another news story. James Dobson endorsed Mike Huckabee in the presidential race here in the United States, for what it's worth. What do you think about that? Now, I have not, and I will not make Life Spring a political show. Don't assume that my bringing this news to you is in any way a hint at my political beliefs. 
I have stated and will reiterate it now that I think the most powerful societal changes are made when the hearts and minds of a people are changed and not their politics. But I just thought I would say that because I know that Jim Dobson has been in the news saying that he was not going to endorse McCain and that he didn't think that there was anybody good worth endorsing, but now he's come out and endorsed Mike Huckabee. Interesting. And now lastly in the news. We here in America forget that there are places in the world where Christians are very sorely persecuted. This story is from the Philippines, and the uh, headline is Mastermind in Missionary's Murder Slain in Encounter. Police on Thursday claim they have killed a suspected mastermind in the abduction and killing of a missionary by the name of Jesus Reynaldo Roda during an encounter in the Tawi-Tawi province. And this mastermind was an Islamic terrorist. So I'll give you a link to that story in the show notes as well.
like that that was pretty good wasn't it that was dan Riker with oh my jesus you can find that song and the previous song that i played at the top of the show at the PodSafe music network and of course links will be on the show notes page at lifespringmedia.com and now many of you have already gotten the first installment of lifespring at the altar uh, some of you have already subscribed and i encourage you to do that lifespring at the altar came to me because um my son matthew uh, a couple of weeks ago, asked me to pray for a friend of his who had been hit by a car, and he asked me to spread the word. And I thought, oh, you know, that would be really cool if I could just, you know, tell everybody in the Lifespring family about this and uh, ask them to pray. And that began another train of thought. So was born Lifespring at the altar. And what that is, is a, it's a show where we pray for one another. The Bible tells us that we should lift each other up in prayer, that we should support one another in prayer, and that that's a good thing. You know, one of the greatest things about being a member of the body of Christ is that we do support one another, and prayer is a great way to do that. God invites us into his presence. Uh, God says that he listens to us. God says that we should um, go boldly into his presence because we are the children of God. And I thought that if we could get together a show where when you have a prayer request, when you have a prayer need, and when you have a praise, by the way, that you could email it to me and I could share it with the entire family. 
And so that's what Life Spring at the Altar is all about. I'll probably end up doing it on the average of five to six days a week, probably not seven days a week. But uh, when there's a prayer need, uh, when I've got two or three or more uh, requests from the family, I will do a show and we'll bring the, these prayer requests up towards God as family. This is, of course, a time-shifted medium, and so it's conceivable that we could be lifting up these prayers to God around the clock. I put the show out and somebody might download it right away. Somebody else might not down- download it for 6, 12, 18 hours, sometimes even after that. And so these prayers can be continually brought to God. And the Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so if we all come together in one accord, uh, in the name of Jesus, then I think that would be a good thing. And I think God will honor that. My request to you is that when God answers your prayer, that you let us know, that you give us a praise report. Let us know, because that will help to build the faith of those that listen. So is that a good deal? I hope you'll, I hope you'll participate. And now I guess it's just about time to get out of here. I've covered the things that I want to cover with you. Um, Did you see the Grammys this week? Wow. Did you see uh, Aretha Franklin and B.B. Winans and the rest of the group? Man, did they have church at the Grammys. That was a great performance. Uh, I love that kind of music, and boy, that was good. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please check out the other shows in the LifeSpring family, especially LifeSpring at the Altar. We've got the uh, LifeSpring Family Bible where we're reading through the Bible in, a, in, in one year. Um, that's a good one. And there's a lot of great shows in the family. So if you're not familiar with them, go check them out at LifespringMedia.com. Till next time, my name is Steve Webb. May God bless you richly. LifeSpring Media bringing you quality Christian and family entertainment since 2004. Brought to you in part by InTouchProductions.com.